You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is supported by Fidelity Investments. We want to inspire you to be in your financial front seat by knowing what you own, what you owe, how to reach your goals, and by having an annual checkup. Learn more at fidelity.com slash front seat. Her Money comes to you through PRX. Hey, everybody, it's Jean Chatsky. Welcome to Her Money. You and I have talked before about loss and about grief, but we haven't spoken specifically about widowhood and what it's like for a woman in her financial life after loss. We know statistically women often fare worse than men. We know it can be a very trying journey because all too often we're not prepared. And we're going to dig in today. I'm excited about this show because Lori Burroughs grad, who is a grief blogger and author of the book, The Joke's Over, You Can Come Back Now, How This Widow Plowed Through Grief and Survived, is here with me in the studio. Hi, Lori. Hi, Jean. Thank you so much for being here. I want to tell everybody a little bit about what happened in your life, that after 47 years of marriage, your husband Peter died suddenly on vacation. Um, And you discovered you hadn't just lost your husband, you'd lost your social status in a lot of ways. And so you started blogging yeah, and it became a book. Yeah, um, I called the the first blog "Demoted to Lunch" because everybody said, "Let me take you to lunch." And I said, "Wait a minute, what about dinner?" So I got a lot of free dinners out of it, <laughs> but I lost my social status. I lost everything, and I didn't realize it. And one of the things I talk about in the book is actually the word loss, because when you lose something. You lose your keys. You expect to find them. Yep. When you lose your husband, there is no Find Peter app on my phone. So you experience a loss, but you don't lose your husband. So, I mean, it's the fine print. There are no, I, things and I, like that. And I want to talk about the right words in just a minute because I sure. think they sure. are so difficult for many people to find. I lost my father about 13 years ago and watched my mother go through many of the same things that you describe. And I want to just start with a few words from the very beginning of the book. You write, no one should look at grief before they must face it, but we should be prepared for its effect on our life. Maybe if we talk about grief more, it will lessen the pain when it happens. Has talking about it, chronicling your journey been helpful to you? Very. Uh, Grief is now the G word, I call it. Not only has it helped me, but when I blogged about it, I got all these responses from other widows who said, oh my God, this is a voice. Mm -hmm. You're giving voice to us. We can't talk about the things you talk about, like who's going to zip up my dress or the financial facts or who's going to pay our bills or who's going to help us with... uh, our taxes, and and who's going to be there for us. So by helping other widows, I am helping myself. Yeah. 
That's sort of how I felt at the beginning of my financial journey, that I was learning to do what I needed to do and helping other people, but also really improving my own financial situation along the way at the very same time. Um, you brought up the financial list that you made for Four Widows, and it is a fantastic list. Thank you. It is. So what were the first financial moves that you made after Peter died? Well, I was lucky enough to have an estate planner, and I was party to the whole procedure. If you don't, I recommend locating the will. If you have an estate planner, I do recommend that if you can. You want to get as many death certificates, although right now with scanners, you don't need as many. I found that I barely needed any. That was uh, something almost from the past. You have to find his birth certificate. You have to call Social Security and they're very helpful, believe it or not. They're very used to this. Um, you have to find your marriage certificate. If any trusts have been set up, you have to find those. You have to find any safe deposit boxes. You have to contact your bank immediately, immediately. Uh, you have to ready a copy of your tax returns. You have to locate a list of your passwords. And I am telling you, oh boy, that was that's... not easy with my husband scribbling. And he didn't put anything in his computer. He kind of had them scribbled. And so I had to decipher his handwriting and find his credit cards and notify them. That it's he had... a lot. Yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot. And that's just the openers. Right. And then you have to go through the process of paying the bills, which, if you haven't done it oh. before, is not an easy thing to get used to. You and Peter had started a couple years earlier, right? Why, did. why did you do that? Um, his health was fragile, but he didn't die of that. He died suddenly. And I just said, Laurie, get smart. Learn how to do this. It's not hard. It's not brain surgery. You can do this. And I'm better at computers. I was much better, much more tech-savvy than he was. I said, I can do this. And I was lucky enough to find a bookkeeper who got me on QuickBooks, mm -hmm. and it went like clockwork. It was easy. But I knew how to do it, and my bank was wonderful. They were very helpful, very kind to me. And and that was easy. I read that you pay all your bills the minute they come in. <laughs> I know. My husband used to stack them up, and I'd say, shouldn't we pay? Shouldn't we pay? He said, no, no. The bill comes in, I pay. Did you know that that makes you happier? It does. It does. There, there's, really? Yes. No, there is research that shows that if you deal with your bills the minute they come in, you're happier because who wants to have a stack of bills and watch all that money leaving their accounts at the very same time? You just made me happy, Yeah, Jean. no. <laughs> it, and that's how it's how I pay my bills. That's how I always have. I open the mail. I sign on to the computer. I pay yes, the bill. me too. It is just, oh, it's just done. Reinforcement. I love this. <laughs> Did you find um, that having help was, was important? I remember going through this process with my mother and... When my father died, she she always managed the money, but she felt like she lost her partner and her sounding board. So she would say to him, I think we should buy this bond. And 
I'm telling you, my father had no idea about bonds, but he would say, okay, that sounds like a good idea. And she got validation. And so we went out and searched for a financial advisor for her so that she had another person in the equation that wasn't me. I think that's a very good idea. It was really, um, I I didn't do that yet. I, I do advise people not to do anything hasty, not to sell a house, not to do anything that is life-changing, at least for six months to a year. You don't want to sell your house. You don't want to do anything rash. You want to think slowly because grief is going to take it out of you, and you just want to concentrate on the grief because you have to get through it in order to get to the other side. Did you do any extra shopping? No, I didn't shop, and I'm a sh- I love to shop. I, I ask, and I, I hope my mother. Shopping. My mother's gonna. I hope she doesn't get mad at me for giving this away. But she started shopping. She's really? not a shopper, and she was so angry at the world. She started shopping. Anger is part of grief. I didn't have anger, uh, but anger is part of grief. It's one of the early stages of grief. Although you know, Elizabeth Kubler Ross mm-hmm. was the famous woman who came out with the stages of grief. But I thought. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, yes, that's fine, but it was about the dying, not not the grieving. What do you mean? It was made for those who were dying. Ah. It was not made for those of us who were grieving. Did you find there were different stages that you went through? I pretty much went through the bawling a lot (laughs) and crying. And you know that tears, the emotional tears, are actually palliative. They are very helpful. Uh. I discovered that. So cry on. Okay. Crying is good for you. Do not be strong because being strong serves no purpose. Just let it out. And I would have these grief bursts where I'd be in the car and start screaming or I'd be in the shower. The shower, for some reason, the heat brought it out. Anyway, but I got through it, and it's almost three years. I want to come back to the finances before we leave them for good. When it came to managing the investment portfolio and thinking about setting yourself up for a long-term future, how did you handle that? Well, I was lucky enough. My brother has a financial advisor, and I went to talk to him. And he was very helpful. And um, when I was going to sell my house recently, I went to him. And he told me the best deal to make and what I could sell it for. But you really do need someone in your corner. You need a smart person in your corner to advise you on what you can sell it for and what you can buy. And I think for all those long-term decisions, especially if you're not used to making them, this is one of those points of transition where getting help is just an urgent need. Yes, for sure. An urgent need. You mentioned that you felt like you lost your status. You got demoted to lunch. So elaborate. (laughs) Let's put it this way. I went to lunches, but after I told them in this blog on Huffington Post, they started to take me to dinner, but then I couldn't pay. What do you mean? Because they wouldn't let me pick up the check. That was another thing. I wrote a whole blog about how do you pick up the check. As a widow. As a widow. How do you do it? You sneak the waiter your credit card. 
You call ahead and leave your credit card. There are all kinds of ways you can do it. Or you tell the people, this is my treat, or I started cooking. And I've written four cookbooks. So for me, I started entertaining again, and that was therapeutic. And I have nine recipes in the book. So for me, comfort food and entertaining became my salvation, and cooking comforted me. I was telling you before we started this interview, when I was a young reporter at Working Woman magazine, which doesn't exist anymore, you wrote for us, I think, and I would see your cookbooks laying around, and they were all—I mean, your cookbooks were so beautiful. They were, for people who are imagining Ina Garten cookbooks and Martha Stewart cookbooks, that's what Lori's cookbooks look like. They were easy, and they were doable. The recipes were always easy. One of the recipes in the book is what I call the best butterfly chicken in the world, which you get the butcher to take out the back of the chicken and you splay it out and you cook it literally. You spatchcock it. You s- very good. I, I butterfly I my own chickens and take out the backbones myself, but I'm a big, I'm a big fan of spatchcocking Spatch in the cock- cast iron skillet. 50 minutes at 500 degrees. And now I've been marinating it in olive oil, tarragon, garlic, lemon peel, and lemon juice. Yum. Overnight, and it is the best roast chicken you've ever had. And you don't—what do you cook it on or in? Just a pan? Just a pan. Just a pan with potatoes, shallots, carrots, mushrooms. You have an entire dinner in 50 minutes. That's what I'm making tonight. It's the best. There we go. Let's take a breather to remind everybody that Her Money is brought to you by Fidelity Investments. No matter what stage of life you're in, whether you are single, married, divorced, or widowed, it is vital for all women to be actively engaged in our finances and investments before it becomes a necessity. So know what you own, know what you owe, what your goals are, and have a financial checkup at least once a year. That's called being in your financial front seat. And you can learn more at fidelity.com slash front seat. So let's get a little granular on the language. You mentioned the word loss. I know you don't like the words passed away. No. Pass away is, I don't. I don't. I just joined the board of a grief center called Our House Grief Center in Los Angeles, and we're very specific about our words. Peter passed the gravy. He passed a football. And for those of you who know him out there in your audience, he passed gas, but he did not (laughs) pass away. He died. And it's a very clear-cut term, and it's really important to use that. The other thing that I, I talk about is talking to the bereaved 101 Don't tell me he's in a better place. Yeah. Because that just angers you. And don't tell me, um, somebody came to me and they said, I know just how you feel. Well, they don't. They really don't know how you feel. And I think that... Even people who've been through it before. Exactly. Somebody said, my mother just died. I know how you feel. Well, you don't. The loss of a spouse is very different. And these are useful tips for those who are not even widows. I mean, this is how to talk to people in grief. and Or crisis uh, or illness. Exactly. How, what else do you, What else is on the, the list of things thou shalt not say? Uh, everything happens for a reason. Oh. I, the one that threw me into a tizzy fit was God only gives you what you can handle. Oh, please, please. They're called shibboleths, 
That's a wonderful word. Or as my grandmother used to say, Bubba Meisters. You'll get through it. Be strong. You shouldn't be strong. Uh, Let me tell you about my own loss, like you want to listen to somebody else's. You're going through, you know, the worst time in your life. I know how you feel. He lived a long life. No. Nobody lived long enough. No. And time heals all wounds. Time doesn't heal all wounds, although healing takes time. So So what do you say? What do I mean we want to say something, right? People people die, they die too young, they die unexpectedly, sometimes they die expectedly, but we want to know the right things to say. So so what what can we say so we don't feel like idiots? I know. The gold standard of course is I'm sorry for your loss, although some widows say I keep hearing that over and over. The best thing you can do is hug a widow or widower. Um, because they don't get hugs. Yeah. I don't get hugged. And what I loved about my friends was they didn't ask me what they could do. They just brought. Mm-hmm. They didn't say, what do you need? And Because at that time, you don't know what you need. One, one friend said, do I want to see a medium? And I said, I'd see an extra small before I'd see a medium. <laughs> So. We should explain to everybody because you are very funny that that you come from a famous comedy family. I do. Jimmy Burroughs is, is my your brother. brother. He's the director of Will and Grace now and Cheers and And the very Taxi. first episode of Friends. Right? Yes. Yeah. And Frasier and every sitcom known to man. And uh, my father was Abe Burroughs who wrote Guys and Dolls. And Which is one of my favorites. Can Silk Stockings and How to Succeed. He won the Pulitzer as he called it the Putzler. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, so I come from comedy and a lot of widows find that laughter helps and and it helps me. It helps me get through it. And Peter was very funny. So for me, um, the the line that kept me sane at the memorial uh, was my brother's line who said, what do you say about a man who sleeps with your sister? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, and what did he say? Uh, what did he say to follow that up? Uh, he he said he was a prince. He was a prince. And then I lost it. Yeah. Um, but uh, Jimmy's a very funny man, and he's been a very supportive brother, and I have a wonderful son and two fabulous grandkids. So. And how is life now? What are What is, different. I mean... It, Acceptably different, I call it, because there is no normal. The new normal that a lot of grief books, widows look at grief books to find answers, which they will never find. We read book after book looking for answers, and there are no answers. So I kept reading about the new normal, and there is no new normal. It's not normal. It's what I call acceptably different. It's a life that I'm living, and I'm looking for joy in whatever way and looking for gratitude in whatever way I can find it. Last words, what would you tell women in marriages or relationships about their money? What do they need to know now to make it easier when it comes down the pike? Because my friend Paige, and, and I tell this story sometimes when I speak, she likes to say that all of us, we all have to take good care of our girlfriends because eventually all of the men are going to die which is true. We are all going to outlive them. So what do we need to know now? Be smart. Be smart. Be aware. Do what I did. Learn. 
learn. Be party to those meetings, even if they seem boring to you. Learn how to do the computer. Learn how to pay the bills. Absolutely, Jean, you're right. You have to learn it because otherwise it's going to be a complete shock, and you're in shock anyway. So be smart. Lori Burroughs grad, the book is The Joke's Over, You Can Come Back Now. Can we have a couple of copies to give away to our listeners? Of course. Absolutely. We will do that in our brand new Facebook group. I love that. I will sign them. That would be fantastic. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Jim. And we'll be right back. Kelly has joined me in the studio. Hi, Kel. Hi, everyone. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I am good. I love that conversation. And I just think it's... Well, it's just a really important one that we haven't had yet. We covered it a little bit with the Modern Loss authors. We and did. for anybody who hasn't listened to that episode, you can go back and pick it up. But those um, women were grieving differently. They mm-hmm. were grieving parents, which is very different than grieving a spouse. It's just been so educational for me because I didn't understand how it was different or why it was different. And it's been so enlightening. And now I feel better equipped to help my loved ones when they're grieving. And I feel better prepared, God forbid, when something could happen in my life that I wasn't prepared for. Yeah. I have a friend who hadn't experienced any loss in his life, and he is in his early 60s. And it just hit him like a one-two punch very quickly. Mm. And I think the point I'm trying to make is that we're never prepared. It doesn't matter if it hits us in our 30s or 40s or 60s. Even when we think we should see it coming, we don't see it coming. And so conversations like this about steps you can take to make it easier when it finally does come are are helpful. So we're going to keep on having them. And I will say her list, her list for financial considerations for widows is really amazing. Comprehensive. Mm -hmm. I was laughing, though, about the birth certificate because one of the things they tell you when somebody dies is that you have to get from the funeral home or the funeral home will help you order 10 copies of the birth certificate. And the reason for that is that you have to send them to financial institutions in order to make the changes necessary on accounts. They need that sort of proof. But she said with scanning, everything's changed. And I'm sure she's right. Like, it's been more than a decade since my father passed away, and we dealt with this, at which point you had to stick it in the mail. So, very different. Technology helping us along. Okay, well, we're going to get to some questions. Our first question is from Claire. I've just finished my master's degree. I'm 28, and I've just started a new job. My salary is $150,000. I'm trying to figure out how to save for retirement. I don't have any school debt, but I have about $8,000 in credit card debt and about four dollars to $5,000 monthly fixed costs. I have nothing saved yet for retirement. I anticipate working in the high-paying, high-stress field for a limited time, two to five years, and I'm trying to maximize my retirement savings during this period. What do you recommend? I'm leaning toward investing the max in a Roth IRA. I have employer contributions at 7%, not matched. Should I max out the Roth this year for pay periods only, though it may require scrimping and saving and living a little off of my credit cards for non-fixed costs? How aggressively should I be saving for retirement at this point if I anticipate having less disposable income as I get older? Okay. So I was doing some quick math in my head, 
And here's where I shake out. You make $150,000 a year. You're probably taking home $100,000 after taxes, maybe even a little bit more, but let's say $100,000 to be generous. If your fixed costs are $5,000 a month, and again, I'm going with the high end of your range, that's $60,000 a year, which is leaving you with $40,000 to, I don't want to say play with, (laughs) but... The very first thing you got to do is ditch that credit card debt. There is absolutely no reason why you should have a balance on a credit card. It is costing you probably $2,000 a year to just carry that, which is money that you should be putting to another use. So I would say take a very hard line with yourself and wipe out that credit card debt and then set up a plan automatically of investing in retirement. I'm a little confused because you said that you have employer contributions and you have a Roth IRA. You might have a Roth 401k. So usually an employer doesn't offer you an IRA. An employer offers you a 401k or a 403b or a 457 or some other plan like that. If you have the ability to put money into a plan where you can do it with automatic contributions from your employer. I don't really care if it's matched or unmatched. Matching is nice, but the automation is what's going to keep you going. So I'd put the max in there, and that may be above and beyond the $5,500 that you could put into a Roth IRA. And finally, the question about should I go crazy with saving for retirement right now, even if it means I have to live a little less well now, knowing that I'm going to probably earn less later is a wonderful, wonderful question. Most people don't have that kind of foresight. So yes, is the answer. We save more when we can save more before we have the sorts of responsibilities that life lays on us. And when we're making a lot of money. It's a great opportunity to do that. So I would say save like a crazy person, invest for your future, and um, thanks for writing. It's a great question. Yeah, good luck, Claire. Now we'll do one from Joanne. I'm 57 years old, and I contribute 20% to my traditional 401k plan. I'm thinking of starting to contribute 5% to a company Roth 401k plan. Do you think this is a good move, or would I be better putting that extra 5% into the traditional 401k? I like the idea of tax diversification, and that's basically what you're talking about, Joanne. When you get to retirement, it is helpful to have different pools of money to draw on. When you pull money out of a traditional 401k, you pay income taxes on that money at whatever your current rate is. When you pull money out of a Roth, you don't pay taxes because you've already paid the taxes. Now, let's just assume um, for a moment that you have a year during retirement when you earn some additional money. You might not want to pull more out of the 401k in that year because it might bump you up into a higher tax bracket. So having the ability to pull from the Roth during that year just gives you a little bit more flexibility. And it's something that I have chosen to do myself. So I'm a fan. 
And we'll do one more from Nancy. My children are paying off substantial college loans. It seems like they are getting nowhere. Is there a best practice as far as attacking these loans and being able to live on your own? Would taking a loan from a bank like Citizens Bank, who offers loans to pay off Sally Mae Navient? Naviant. Naviant. Be smarter. Nancy, I think you're mixing apples and oranges a little bit. It's a really good idea to look for a strategy for getting out from under these big student loans as quickly as possible. So I love the question. What companies like Citizens Bank and Common Bond and SoFi and others do is refinance student loans. And so Essentially, they take a look at the portfolio of loans that your kids have, they look at the interest rate, and they consolidate them all into one loan or as many as you want to refinance. You don't have to refinance them all. And it's a good move if it reduces your interest rate, which means you can get out of this debt cheaper and faster. A couple of things to keep in mind, if these are federal student loans, by refinancing with a private lender, you lose some of the federal repayment provisions. So if your kids ever thought they might want to go into an income-based repayment program where the amount that they were repaying was tied to their salaries because their salaries weren't keeping up with their payments, they would no longer have the ability to do that. Be very careful that you don't think you're going to take advantage of those provisions before you go into the private market. But if you know that you're not, I think it's a very good move and it can save you tens, sometimes even twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars Amazing. Thank you, everyone, for asking your questions. You can do so at genechatsky.com slash podcast. And we promised we would give Lori's books away in our Facebook group. So tell everybody a little more about our Facebook group. We're having so much fun there. We are. So we started our private Facebook group. You could find us on Facebook now, but also you can ask us in the question box where to find it if that is easier and you're there and you're asking us a question. Absolutely. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to humble brag a picture of the chicken, Lori's chicken, (laughs) when I make it. I'm just saying. I think that's a great idea. I know. I I was hoping you guys would talk about her recipes in the book, too. I think those are really nice additions. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you. And now it's time for our weekly Thrive segment, a little bit of news you can use. If you've got an Alexa sitting on your kitchen counter, as I do, I am sure you've had the experience of waking her up without meaning to. The benign scenario is when she plays a song or gives you the weather when you were really just chatting with your spouse. The scary one is what happened to the Portland woman whose conversation with her husband was recorded and then shared with the husband's employees. Bottom line is that if you have your privacy settings on default, Facebook lets marketers use your name in their Facebook ads, Amazon keeps recording of all of your conversations with Alexa, and Google saves a map of everywhere you go on your Android phone, and that is just scratching the surface. And yet, 95% of us are too busy or too confused to change the settings that could give these companies significantly less access to our personal information. Jeffrey Fowler in the Wall Street Journal wrote a fabulous story where he told us precisely how to take back control of our personal data and prevent companies from collecting it. Here's just a couple of examples. When you like a page on Facebook, you give advertisers permission to use your name in the ads they show your friends, and you don't get paid for that. To stop it, 
On Facebook, under settings, go to privacy, then ads, then ad settings, and click ads that include your social actions. Switch to no one. And one more, no, your phone is not reading your mind. It may seem like it, but it's not. You're shopping for a pair of new running shoes on Nike.com. Then a few minutes later, you open a new tab, and the exact pair you were looking at appears in an ad on the side of the page. How does that happen? It happens because iPhones share an anonymous ID for advertisers to target you. To stop this, go to Settings, then Privacy, then Advertising, toggle the bar on Limit Ad Tracking. No more mind reading for you. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today on Her Money. Thanks to Kelly for producing a great show, to Lori Burroughs Grad for the fantastic conversation. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We love hearing what you think. We also want to thank our sponsor, Fidelity. We record this podcast out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Track Tribe, and our show comes to you through PRX. Join us next week when we will be back with another great guest. We'll talk soon.